he just went off about how <laughs> horrible it was. He's like, I had to refresh and restart the chat three times. Welcome to the React Native Nerds Podcast. I'm Spencer. And I'm John. Join us as we dive into topics you need to know about to become a better developer. Hey, welcome to React Native Nerds, episode number 12. I'm Jonathan Wheat, and joining me is Spencer Carley. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> well, we were just talking before we started recording, and I'm pretending that I'm 20 years old working for a startup. <laughs> I uh, I did an all-nighter last night, like literally did not go to bed until um, 6 a.m. this morning. I took about a 45-ish minute nap on and off, um, and then I was jumped back on a call. And yeah, so uh, it's like startup life over here. Yeah, really? That's... yeah. And for anybody that knows, I'm damn near 50. So um, <laughs> if I'd suddenly fall asleep during this recording, just keep going, Spencer. <laughs> all right. All right. Will do. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can't. I cannot do all-nighters. I remember like in college, um, somehow I got, I was in the dorm with all the smart people. So one, that was just you know really scary being surrounded by all these geniuses, but they'd be doing all-nighters like once a week and... Even in college, I was asleep by like 10 p.m. every night. I, mm. <laughs> once it hits like 10, 11 o'clock, I'm I shut down. There's there's nothing left in me. Yeah, that's usually how I am too. But I've been staying up later and later just watching television because I'm okay. here alone. And um, mm. you know, I don't know. I'm just used to it. And it wasn't that bad. It went kind of fast. And that's I was just good. amazed at everything that I got done with zero interruptions. Right. Yeah. I guess that is the perk. Yeah. the benefit of it i'm not yeah, promoting so, it people i'm not saying that you should do this, but <laughs> right you, you need your sleep yeah um, definitely yeah so today we'll be uh quickly talking for john's sake uh, so he can maybe get another <laughs> nap in but we'll be talking about just kind of like building an offline experience um how to store that data while offline and then just kind of like what are your considerations or what are your different options to going ahead and accomplishing that uh but before we do that diving into mobile news anything interesting in the mobile or technology world holy cow um so apple man they are getting i don't know nazi-esque i guess <laughs> um they're threatening to remove airbnb from the app store because airbnb is thinking or talking about doing virtual experiences because of the whole quarantine and whatever hmm. and i don't know exactly what a virtual experience would entail, but I imagine whoever has the B&B might do some really cool tour of the place maybe, or live experience, I don't know. But, um, you know, so Apple wants a piece of that pie. Right. They, they said they're entitled, entitled <laughs> to 30% of the sales. Right. So not just whatever you're getting for your 99 cent app, they want 30% of everything that's going to go through on top of for all these in-app purchases. Oh my gosh, I just can't. So it just, it just seems like Apple is, is like doing a big money grab lately. They just seem to be hammering on people. That's always been Apple's, or as long as I know, it's been Apple's policy where if it's a physical product, so say you buy something on Amazon or if you, um, you know, book an Airbnb through Airbnb. That's a physical product, physical experience. So the, either they don't take a cut or it's much less. Whereas any digital products, any in-app pro, uh, purchase you make or a digital subscription, 
Apple will take 30% of that if it goes through their checkout process. So I guess that's the grounds they're making there. But, you know, looking at Airbnb, that's that's going to be a, a hefty, hefty price there. So that'll be interesting to see how they. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I mean, now that I am a uh, an owner of something that might utilize Airbnb, I mean, Airbnb skims off what I would charge, you know, if a reservation comes through. I, I wonder if like does Apple at this point make any money off of Airbnb? If they don't have because everything's a physical product of physical physical experience and i guess the same question applies to like the amazon app where you know there's billions of dollars of transactions in a day but they're all physical goods so mm-hmm. do they get any of that yeah that's it's interesting so yeah, maybe airbnb being off of the app store would be less of a less obtrusive or intrusive than i would have expected yeah that, that's interesting that'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out yeah, so instead of in-app purchase, you got to go to Airbnb.com to purchase them and then right. give um, Apple the big up yours. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess like if they did that, but they still left the app in the App Store, that's the grounds of nixing it because I think it's their policy that you have to provide the same experience and the same payment options in-app as you do elsewhere. You can't incentivize, incentivize paying elsewhere over the app. Um, I was uh, working on a an app a few years ago and basically that that's what it was it started as a web app they had their subscription product all that kind of stuff and then apple rejected the app after we had it for a couple months and they were like there's no way for people to subscribe in the app but it's a you need to pay in order to really use any of the app Um, so we had to go in basically build apple payment however they could take their cut i forget how we did it into the app but then he didn't want to incentivize that because, you know, then he's losing 30% off of his profit. Right. So then it got rejected again. And then we had to go through a whole UX overhaul. And it's just, it's a whole oh, thing. Man. So it's, it's always good to know those wow. policies when you're going to start charging for digital things uh, yeah. via a mobile app. Uh, you work on anything fun, interesting, or doing anything interesting that warranting a all-nighter? Um, yeah, we have a a really large demo tomorrow looming and, uh, we found (laughs) out that we were doing it. We found out the potential of it on, on Monday. So we started actually planning and then we, after we were done planning, then you actually have to execute on that plan. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's where we are right now. Um, but doing some really cool stuff with, uh, chatbot technology. Um, and before everybody rolls your eyes. You know, this is actually useful chatbot technology, and I know only chatbot owners say that. <laughs> but but I hate chatbots. I've I've said it on the show. I've I've admitted it. I do not like chatbots, and so it makes me make mine better. And so these actually do help. They help you work through your issues and and that sort of thing. They're su- for their for um, support tech support type things. Nice and. Yeah. Um, you know, they just sort of streamline the process. Okay. I I recently interacted with a chatbot. Well, I, I don't know that you'd consider it a chatbot, but in app, or Amazon's app, uh, basically I had a package that was never delivered. And it was just this quick UI where, yeah, basically I told them the issue. And then within like three minutes of just using the chatbot, I'd been refunded my money and everything. And I that was like my first nice experience using a chatbot. That, I know, uh, right? Yeah. Um, like natural language 
interaction where it didn't just say, oh, I can't handle or I don't know how to handle this. Let me connect you to a, a representative or whatever. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, my boss had a chatbot experience with Verizon over here in the States. That's a, an internet provider, phone and internet. And he just went off about how horrible <laughs> it was. He's like, I had to refresh and restart the chat three times just to get, you know, because it would take me down this path and you could not get back from that path. It was mm. just like a one-way street going down this road. And as soon as it interpreted whatever you were saying as a different product, you know, he just he just couldn't get it back on track. And oh. I mean, that and that stuff just frustrates the crap out of me too. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe someday y'all will be lucky enough to use my chatbot. Right, yeah. And we'll be selling our stuff to, you know, all of these, these companies that have crappy solutions. Yeah, definitely. Look forward to the improvements. So uh, today we are going to talk about offline storage and databases. Mm-hmm. And you have been sort of deep into a lot of the offline storage stuff lately with your app. So why don't you kick this off? Yeah. So I guess background, the app I work on is primarily reading data on the mobile side. All of the content editing happens on the web, and then it's just like a reference point for medical practitioners who are using the app. So with that, we've got a read-only experience on mobile. Um, but on the other side, we've got a bunch of data. Each client, um, because everything has to be downloaded at once, each client is about two megabytes of data. So basically the way that we go about managing this offline experience, and the reason we have an offline experience is because within hospitals, at least within Canadian hospitals, which is where majority of our clients are, the internet connection is non-existent or very, very poor. So the way we do this is basically we download this big chunk of data, this two megabytes of data, and then we store it all in async storage. And what async storage is, is a, it used to be part of React Native Core, it's now part of the React Native community, uh, but it's a basically a, a plain text storage that will write and persist data between sessions. So it's like your, you know, write, writing to the, to the hard drive of your computer. Async storage is our means to do that. It's a very, very basic solution though. So with async storage, it's basically, you can only use primitive types. So you can write a number in there, you can write a Boolean, or you can write a string. Obviously two megabytes, it's not any of those primitives, it's a giant object. So we're writing that all via JSON, uh, json.stringify, which probably is not efficient, not good, but you know what, it's worked. Um, so basically we, download all this data, we store it in async storage, and then from async storage, we'll pull that data on app launch and actually fill it into React Context, which is in memory. And then we use that data from memory to actually build the, the actual app experience. So it's, it's just this big process of downloading the data and then hydrating our actual app store, app state with this giant chunk of data that we pull from async storage. And we just do json.stringify and json.parse to kind of stringify the object and then to actually turn that string back into an object. And it's a simple solution, but it's worked really well. I mean, we've used this kind of solution for years at this point. And we just, I'm actually testing a giant rebuild right now and it's working really well for us. How long does it take to rehydrate two megs? 
It, yeah, it's super quick. It's not really noticeable um, okay. with just the, like the general app launch time. I'd say, you know, within 200 milliseconds, it's typically up and running. Async storage is a very basic solution, right? So we're not getting a lot of benefits from it. We're pulling a lot of data out of it at once and rehydrating our store, our, our entire app store with it. And like two megs, that's, that's a lot of data to be keeping in memory, I, th I think. I don't know. It feels like a lot. But it, it's, it's this balance. Like we're not writing a lot to it. So it's not really changing. So it's not causing a bunch of re-renders, any of that stuff. So it's not a big deal. And when you're thinking about these offline experiences, you really need to consider, or I guess, thinking about the offline experience and then the tools that you're going to use to actually implement that, thinking about what are we actually going to be doing with this data. So like I said, mobile, where read-only, that's the only way I foresee it going because it's a small subset of users who can actually modify the data. The general user's not modifying the data. So it's read-only. So we don't need to optimize for writes. But if you do, then you need to start considering, okay, how am I going to reconcile changes that may conflict with other changes someone has taken while offline? There's all these different things, and as a user can do more with the data while offline or potentially offline, then you need to consider, how do I write that data to the store? How do I reconcile it uh, locally and then remotely? And then if multiple people can be writing data, there's reconciling all of those different changes and how do you do that? Because what if a user's device is set to a different time zone than another, so you can't necessarily always use dates to figure out exactly when a change uh, occurred, like to figure out any race con conditions. So offline, kind of like thinking about it initially, it's like, oh, okay, just save my data, right? But then once you start thinking about these more complex situations, it gets more and more complex. And if you look in the async storage documentation, they actually say, you may not want to use this directly. You want to use a wrapper around it. And I think the motivation for that warning is that it's really easy to kind of like go down a rabbit hole of making things super, super complex with offline storage. So sometimes it's nice to reach for other pre-made solutions that, that do a lot of this stuff for us if there's writing involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, oh yeah, because I wrote some instead of trying to use some mm -hmm. and you know this is sort of leading into the next section and that's about databases and when i was using um oh nuts what was it appcelerator i had an sql light database or sqlite okay. and i actually wrote the synchronization and the reconciliation and whatnot so um, my app was easier because the the actual web or the database server itself was the primary data source and so my that's where things would change there's a web app if you know sessions or some data would be updated then the mobile app would occasionally go grab those changes pull them in and update the mobile app so the users aren't necessarily or were not making changes of data on the phone the phone was just pulling and reconciling new data coming in. And so I was dealing with uh, timestamps and just crazy REST API and, you know, and I just rolled it all, <laughs> rolled it all. And I mean, as you can imagine, sometimes 
something like that just does not work well. And, um, you know, you end up with duplicate records mm -hmm. because something didn't sync or something didn't update because a timestamp was off, you know, that sort of thing. And definitely prepackaged solutions are, are better for sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's so many complexity of building an app and building a company around an app that there's a reason there's companies who specialize in building offline experiences or uh, building databases that work offline and all these other challenges that really quickly come up and then you're like, oh shit, this is, I, I, I need to <laughs> rewrite all of this now and then choosing these other options to, to do this. So a few options I've used, or one option I've used is SQLite directly, slightly, um, but the one that I've used the most is actually the real-time database from React Native Firebase, which is like a wrapper around the native implementations of Firebase on iOS and Android. And basically with real-time database, it's exactly what it sounds like, real-time database, but it has a means to uh, basically enable offline persistence. And then they can start handling all of this stuff of modifying data. And if you're not using real-time database to do stuff, obviously this isn't super helpful. Um, but it's one of those instances where like, you know, it's, it's a big consideration to think I'm going to maybe move my data over to one of these services just so I can get this offline experience and syncing that data. Syncing data can be so complex. It's, it's worth looking at these other tools. So, mm -hmm. um, React Native Firebase, real-time database, it works well. It's definitely got some downsides in terms of just like managing data. That might just be me not really knowing Firebase super, super well on this side, but I've used it, it works pretty well. Um, I've enjoyed it and I know there's there's other options. Have you used anything uh, in React Native land related to offline storage? Yeah, actually my app currently uses PouchDB with a P and that is the mobile version of or a mobile API, actually. Well, I guess it is a mobile version of CouchDB with a C, um, a nice okay. NoSQL database. And um, I was just looking before the show because the repo has sort of gotten pretty old. And I know he was looking for some help with, with the repo and maintaining it and whatever, but it looks like it's been updated recently. And so that's really good news because that means I don't need to jump in and rework all of my <laughs> offline storage and synchronization. And I, I mean, it's really, really nice. It's fairly simple. And the reason I was asking about your, your rehydration of, um, you know, your two mega data, I have all of my conference data and that's every session, all the session information, all the exhibitors, all the exhibitor information, all the presenters, all of their bios, all of the attendees, and the attendee information. So I have a really large chunk of, of data that comes down. And I really struggled in the beginning on how to hydrate the app the first time. And what I ended up doing, I had, oh my goodness, and this is probably just a newbie learning issue. I had downloaded the CouchDB in a JSON format, and I was trying to store that on the phone in the app, you know, when you package it up. So it's there. So the first time you open the app, it grabs that and hydrates itself and then tries to sync. And I had so many issues, synchronization issues, because 
if you've ever used a NoSQL database, there's version hashes for all of the documents. And basically a record in a NoSQL database is called a document. And so I, I was just having all these problems and it was absolutely ridiculous. And what I ended up doing is the jinkiest thing <laughs> is I literally, I exported that giant and it was, it was a JSON file. And then I put it up on a site and I did an HTTP get the first time you open the app, it checks to see if the database is there. And if it isn't, then it goes and it grabs this file and it does, you know, an Axios pull down of that file locally and then I can process it. And it was just so weird. So, so <laughs> weird because if I didn't do that and the first time you opened it and it created the database and then did the sync, it took forever and by forever, probably like a minute, you know, to pull oh, all wow. the data down because it was, it's a really large file. And so I, I just struggled and struggled. And so it was, you know, when I figured that or got that solution to work, you know, it is not elegant at all. I am not proud of that, but it works. <laughs> right. It gets the job done. <laughs> yeah. Um, one database I was looking because I did this, you know, find looking for the best solution kind of search a while ago. Um, I had read about realm and, mm. um, that was, seemed to be really popular and then it sort of went away. But then it looks like it's back. It's actually, I guess it's part of MongoDB. So if you go to realm.io, you know, their main page says MongoDB Realm has arrived. And if you go to pricing, you're on mongodb.com pricing site, which there is a free tier. So I'm actually okay. interested in trying this out because the Realm stuff adds a layer of synchronization. And I think that's, you know, what happens is, is they add this layer so it's supposed to be amazing. I mean, it's supposed to really, really be amazing. And they have, you know, there's all sorts of APIs and things that you can add for your, for your apps. And, you know, there's a white paper and all that sort of stuff. So if, you, if you're really interested, you can go check that out. The link will be in the show notes. But I'm interested in that. And I've, I sort of stopped looking for database stuff. You know, once you get a solution, I don't want to refactor my entire app, you know, and swap out but it's about oh, time yeah. for a rewrite. I'm thinking maybe I would use Realm for that. That's if I decide to continue on with a conference app <laughs> and, and, and try to do that. Yeah. Right, Ho hopefully things will get back to yeah, normal. Yeah, but things are so busy. I don't know that I even want to be bothered by a side hustle business. Right yeah, now. that's true. It's crazy. But anyway, it'd be a neat experiment to try and see what would be involved to do that and get it to work, sort of with my same web app and architecture. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see uh, Realm kind of I don't know, getting a second life. And I, I honestly have no idea how long Realm has been part of Mongo. But I, I remember, you know, back in the day hearing a lot of a lot of people just loved it. I think it was expensive. When I first looked at it, and this was years, I mean, probably three years ago, four years ago, I think there it was expensive. And that's why I walked away from it. Clearly, just because of the number of options available out there, like this is a hard problem to solve and nobody's happy with anyone else's solution. So like, as you're building offline storage and experiences, like I wish I could say, you know, do X, Y, and Z, it's going to work for you. But like offline experiences are really, really hard and they're really hard to do really well. So it's, it's gonna be a fair amount of work to, to implement this. And like, I've done this for, worked on an app on and off for a couple of years now that is, you know, mostly offline based. And I've worked on many before that, that had strong or 
we're supposed to have strong offline experiences. And like, I still don't have a solution that I love, but you got to start somewhere. And hopefully there's a few options in here. We've talked about that. Give you somewhere to start, somewhere to start researching. Yeah. And they all have their own little quirks and personalities. So you unfortunately probably want to try a couple of them before you really settle down. Mm -hmm. um, and also when you're looking at those, look at the community that's rallied around the various solutions. You know, there's yeah, a huge, a huge Mongo community. So I'm sure there's a lot of realm support depending on how new it is there. You know, there's huge Firebase community. So I imagine if you have questions, there's probably hundreds of people that you can jump on and ask, you know, or a community there. Unfortunately, the pouch DB community is not that large. And so when I was up against the rock, I had to figure stuff out myself. And I did a lot of source diving, trying to look through the source code to see what it was trying to do. And it took a little bit for me to get stuff working. And once it did, it all clicks and it works very well. Um, it's just mm -hmm. that it started to age out a couple years ago when, when the repo wasn't getting updated. And when I say age out, like I had to have a special version of node installed so I could uh, run the PouchDB command to create that big file that I was throwing up on a server to pull. You know what I mean? It's it's that sort of thing. And right. I'm looking now and, you know, the, the package JSON file has been recently, recently updated. So somebody is, is jumping on that to at least keep it current. Uh, so just look for the community and the backing behind whatever solution you are because you don't want to be, I mean... I don't only had a few clients using my app. So, I mean, that equates to, you know, a conference is a few hundred people or whatever, but you know, if, if you're going to town and you're going to have a huge audience, tens of thousands of people using your app, you want to make sure you have a solid foundation, especially for offline mm -hmm. storage. And I guess if you're building an app that large, then you probably have some money backing and you could probably pay for support and for a solution, and you don't need to necessarily go to an open source type community for help. Yeah, I mean, that's always that's always an option. Like, I mean, paying for support, like, it's a great way to, to figure things out, um, to incentivize, you know, people that are helping you figure out the, the problems with their software. Because, like, if, if they know that software intimately, like, it's amazing how fast the people who wrote the software can figure things out. So it's always <laughs> yeah. nice to kind of have, have them on payroll. Yeah. And if, I mean, if, and if you're building something for someone, somebody's paying you to do this, then just know those costs for support ahead of time and roll them into your bill, you know, mm -hmm. and be like, okay, well, this is going to cost me 60 bucks a month to have, and then another $20 a month for, you know, whatever level of support. So just, just roll those in. Your sponsor is at least, um, you know, consuming those costs. Right. And then you'll have the, the reassurance that somebody's on the other end when you do hit a wall because you will, mm -hmm. and you'll need to figure something out and it'll be midnight and you'll be sweating. <laughs> and you know, if you have a support email to shoot some, a question to, it'll be super helpful. It's always nice to have that support. And like that, that's one of those things of, you know, a downside of open source is you don't have that guaranteed support. So not that open source is bad by any means, but you know, you kind of get what you pay for, especially in terms of support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pay the people you rely on. So if you don't have the money, look for a huge community. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then like, you know, 
I've said here, like I've worked on offline apps a lot. I don't have a solution I absolutely love, but I have shared via a class in React Native School just kind of my process for building a general offline experience. It's nothing crazy, but it does cover the basics of caching data, um, notifying a user if they're even offline, and then how to handle those optimistic updates if they are offline and they write data, reconciling offline actions, just some basics kind of like, you know, get your wheels turning and show you one way of doing this uh, without using one of these alternative services, which honestly, like if I were to start now and I knew offline write had to be a thing, I'd probably be reaching for either React Native Firebase, Realtime DB, or looking at something like Realm, um, just to save save time and headache. Is that a new course? Uh, no, actually this is one, it's a few months old. I don't remember when I put it together. I need to <laughs> start putting dates on things. But, so all of these React Native School classes I put together, it's like, I, I try to put out a new one every month. And like, it just reflects what I've been working on in the last month. So it's like all these, whatever was really, really fresh at that time, and I know I'll have to come back to in the future, I just create a little class for it for me. And then I just throw that information out of my head so that I, when I need to do it again, I just go through these classes. That works well. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, that's all I've got on this subject. Uh, yeah, me too. Offline storage and experiences is really hard. It creates a great app when you do it well, but just know it's, it's, it's work to do. Well, thank you all for joining <laughs> us. Uh, hopefully you'll have some information to get started on offline storage. And, you know, I'd love to hear if you've done offline storage How'd you guys go ahead and do that? Because, you know, it's everyone's got their own way. Everyone's got their own requirements. And I've got a consulting project coming up where I'm going to have to help them with offline stuff. So I, I'll certainly be interested in hearing anyone else's insights on building offline experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I apologize if I wasn't my normal energetic self. Next, <laughs> next episode, I promise I will be. Uh, but yeah, tweet at us. Please let us know you're out there, guys. We love you. Yeah. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys next week. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can get show notes and leave comments at reactnativenerds.com.